welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Sen Institute, and today we have the privilege of hearing from Rick and Kay Warren. Rick and Kay co-founded Saddleback in Lake Forest, California in 1980, and it's now one of the largest and best-known churches in the world. Rick's been referred to as America's pastor, and he's the author of The Purpose Driven Life, which is one of the best-selling nonfiction books in publishing history. He's also founded Pastors.com, an online interactive community providing sermons, forums, and other pastor resources. Kay founded Saddleback's Hope for Mental Health Initiative following the death of their son, Matthew, who lived with serious mental illness for most of his life. The initiative is there to support individuals and family members of loved ones with mental illness and suicidal ideation. Kay's also also the author of several books, including Choose Joy Because Happiness Isn't Enough. Now let's go to our host, the editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine and executive director of Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, Ed Stetzer. Hey, so we're joined today by Rick and Kay Warren, and we're having a conversation really about the world in which we live, some of the complexity, it's challenging, it's increasingly divided, and one of the things that's obvious is that it is impacting the well-being of pastors, church leaders, and more. So we invited Kay and Rick to join us here on the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast to share from their experience in ministry. I guess often people say that some people need no introduction. Well, I think that probably is true with Rick and Kay Warren. Factually true, they don't really need an introduction, and all of us have probably been influenced in some way by them and their ministry and their leadership. What I think makes this conversation perhaps particularly meaningful to us is we've seen them walk through some of their public pain, well, together in front of all of us. They've become advocates around mental health and more. And so for us to have a conversation with them, I think it'd be helpful to understand, they'll help us understand some of the challenges we're facing. And, um, you know, here's what we know. We, We know that when the pandemic ends, which we don't have clarity on when that is, that that doesn't end some of the cultural convulsion, the tumult and the turbulence that we're in. It probably is going to take a few years to get through that. So we're going to have to walk through some hard times. I mean, all of us might face hard times individually, but right now, globally, we need reservoirs of resilience to make it through this really difficult time. So enough enough hearing from me. Let's hear from the Warrens and start our conversation with Rick and Kay. I'm going to turn it over to you and so thankful for what you might have to say and to share. Thank you for your ministry. It matters to the kingdom of God. And uh, we said yes to this request of Ed, uh, not just because he's a dear friend, but because this is a good topic that everybody's having to deal with. You know, the past year and a half uh, have been the most difficult time for church leaders, pastors, probably in our lifetime. Uh, We've faced five major storms uh, in the past year and a half and have drained our reserves, uh, leaders of their emotional, spiritual reserves. I call it the global infirmity, that's COVID-19, economic insecurity, 20 million people out of work because of COVID, Uh, racial inequality, we saw all of those uh, uh, incidents of racial inequality in the last year and a half, political incivility, where people are 
just at each other's throats in, in polarization and social instability. Uh, we've, we've seen uh, uh, um, riots going on in, in cities and in the capital and things like this. Um, I have spent personally more time encouraging pastors who wanted to resign in the past 18 months than ever before in my 52 years of ministry. Uh, I, I've met so many guys, men and women who wanted to quit because of these are tough times. Now, the truth is that each of us came into this crisis a, a year and a half ago uh, with different levels of emotional and physical and spiritual reserves. If you had a lot of reserves uh, built up in your life uh, prior to COVID and these other five or uh, four uh, storms, you probably done okay, even though you're more tired and you have less energy than you did a year and a half ago. I can say that without fear of contradiction. You're more tired, you have less energy than you did a year and a half ago. But if your tank was already half empty before these storms hit, you're, you're running on empty now. And some of you probably uh, entered this crisis with little or nothing in your emotional spiritual tank. Uh, you were already drained. And you are the most vulnerable and you are the people that Kay and I care about deeply uh, and we care about your ministry and, and we wanna help you through this time. Please don't, don't give up. But whether you choose to use it to help other people or not is your choice. Now, the theme verse that we wanna share with you today is Romans 12, uh, 11 and 12. And I love this in the message paraphrase. Romans 12, 11 and 12 in the message paraphrase says this, don't burn out, keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Don't quit in hard times. Instead, pray all the harder. And what we're gonna do now is share with you uh, uh, 10 or so ways on how to do that and talk from our own experience, all right? Let me just give you the first one and I'll, I'll define it and then we'll let Kay talk about it. Um, first, here's the first key to staying refueled in a flame. Show grace to myself and others. To make it through this crisis, you're gonna need to treat yourself and other people the way God treats you, all right? The way God treats you, you need to treat yourself. And that's the way, by the way, God wants to, you to treat others the same way. By the way, how does God treat you? Graciously, with grace, uh, with mercy, with forgiveness. Uh, God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. That's called grace. And in James 4, verse 6, God loves to give us more grace. He opposes the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, why does God oppose the prideful and the arrogant? Because when we're prideful, we think we can do it all by ourselves. We don't think we need God's help. We don't think we need God's grace. But when we're humble and we admit that we don't have enough resources to make it through this situation, God expects you to treat yourself the way he treats you, with grace. And by the way, do it with others. In other words, cut yourself some slack during this time and, and do the same thing with others. Because listen, guys, everybody's having a tough time. Don't expect yourself to perform at the same level you were before this crisis began. Every day this crisis continues, your reserves are being drained. So what am I saying? Right now you get a full night's sleep and you get up in the morning and an hour into the day, you're going, I'm exhausted. Well, welcome to the human race, okay? That's normal. That's normal with prolonged stress. 
So the first step to emotional, mental, spiritual health uh, is to be forgiving of yourself. Now, the second key, and I want Kay to talk uh, about soul care, is to start and end each day refueling my soul. Start and end each day refueling my soul. What's your soul? It's your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions. You're not just a body. You are a soul with a body, and just as your body has to be fed every day, so does your soul. How do you feed your soul? How do you refeed your refuel your soul? Well, uh, I'm going to give you my habit in just a minute, but I want to turn this over to Kay and ask you to talk about soul care. Yeah, you know, just to even back up just a little bit, these things that we're sharing with you, we have learned a lot about the brain in in the last year and a half. We have paid attention to uh, brain scientists, some that we really respect. But this whole idea of, as Rick said, that you have to start each day um, by taking care of your soul, taking care of yourself as a whole person is is vital. Um, Third John, verse two, um, John says there, I pray that your body will do as well as your soul is doing well. So he indicates that it's not just about our soul, but our bodies. It's every part of us need care, especially during these really, really rough times. When I talk to people in ministry, you know, inevitably there's this question of, so if there's, what's the one thing you would say? You know, if you've got one message to give to people in ministry, what would it be? And I've kind of landed on this, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Nobody else is going to do it. Your husband, your wife are not going to take care of you. I mean, Rick and I have a strong marriage and he takes care of me and I take care of him. But ultimately, what I weigh, how much I sleep, what I eat, how much movement and exercise, how surrendered I am to God, how emotionally healthy I am, those are not up to anybody but me. Mm. And then you've developed a practice in the last year that's really meant something to you. Yeah, yeah. And I want to recommend a habit that will recharge you every day. I call it GWFW and GWLW. And what that stands for is God's word, first word, and God's word, last word. Uh, let me explain this to you. What you do is get a Bible translation that is readable to you, that you like. I don't care what translation you get a Bible translation. And you put it by the side of your bed on your bedstand, and you leave it open. You never close it. Why? Because a closed Bible is easy to ignore. What you do is you pick a book that you want to study, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Philippians, John, 1 John, I don't, I don't care, but you pick a passage. Let's just say you started with Psalms, and you open it to Psalm 1, and you leave it there. Then every morning, when you get up in the morning, the first thing you do before you get out of bed, and I do this, I put my feet on the side of the bed before I even stand up. I take that Bible and I'll start reading. It's not about how long you read. You Here's the key. You read until something speaks to you. That's all you do. You read until something speaks to you. You might read one verse, go, oh man, I need to think about that. And you just stop right there. You might read several verses. You might read a chapter. You might read several chapters. It's not about time. It's you read until something speaks to you. And then you stop there. Now, 
what, what, what you do is you stop once you've got something that speaks to you and you leave your Bible open, his word, first word. Then at night, when you come back in at bed, the come to bed, the last thing I do before I put my head down on the pillow is the Bible's open and I read the next verse. And I start wherever I left off in the morning. And again, doesn't matter how long you read, you read until God speaks, says something to you, something that comforts me or something that challenges me. Both of these will restore your soul, something that comforts or something that challenges. Okay, here's number three. We're not going to spend as much time on all these as we just did on that one. But number three is set and stick with a simple routine. When you're under severe stress, Stress. When you're in chronic chaos, which is what we're in right now, set and stick with a simple routine. Predictability is an important stress reducer, especially when everything around you is changing. And that's what it is. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says this. Carefully consider how you live. Live wisely, not foolishly. Make the most of your time because these are difficult evil days. Now, uh, we're coming out of quarantine, but uh, I, I know that when you were stuck at home, it was easy to slip into a sloppy, thoughtless life without any boundaries. Uh, you stay up later than you usually do. You sleep in and things like that. Routine develops resilience. You need to remember that. Routine develops resilience. Predictability creates stability in ministry and in life. Structure creates steadiness. Now, this is especially important with kids. Uh, now, a crisis routine, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, is what uh, should include what Dr. Bruce Perry calls dosing and spacing. And, and we'll explain that in a little bit. But you may need to get creative in carving out a routine. Uh, because we, honestly, with this Delta variant, we might not we might have another round. But you may need to get creative in carving out a routine. One of my staff pastors shared an idea with me when we were all quarantined at home. He said, "You know, Rick, to make a barrier between my work and my home life so they don't bleed over into each other, I've been practicing a 15-minute virtual commute from working at home." He said, "When I stop work at home." I go outside and I walk around for 15 minutes and I either listen to a podcast or I process the day or I pray, do something like that. And he said, then I come back in and now it's home time. All right. It's home time. All right. Let's go to number four. When you are dealing with chronic stress, ongoing stress, it's not a, a, just a short period of time. Uh, you need to, this is going to shock you, but I've been telling it to our church. I've been telling it to my members for a year and a half. Stop watching cable news. Stop watching cable news. I don't care what channel you think. It's no longer news anyway. It, it's, it's pontificating and posturing and blaming and scapegoating and opinions and yelling at each other. For your own mental, emotional, and spiritual health, you need to monitor your intake of media. As I said, it's not news anymore. It's just polarized ranting and raving. It creates fear. It creates bitterness. And it's all about blame now. Choose your channel and you'll find out who you're going to blame. Now, the Bible tells us that you will become like whoever you spend the most time with. 
If you listen to fearful people every night, you're going to become fearful. If you listen to angry people every night, you're going to become angry. If you listen to political scapegoating every night, you're going to start doing it. If you listen to polarizing views, you will become polarized. And if you fill your mind with constant images of negative news, I don't care right or left, liberal, conservative, that's going to deplete your reserves and raise your stress level. The reason we're seeing more conflict rising in congregations today is because people are spending more time with the nightly news than they are hearing a sermon on Sunday. Now, this isn't just something I made up. The Bible has a lot to say about focusing on what's helpful to listening to the things that are pure and lovely and of good report, not a bad report. Listening to what's helpful, not what's stressful. Jesus said in Matthew 6, I think it's verse 22 and 23. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. And if your vision is good, your whole body will be full of light. But he said, if you're focused on the bad, your life will be full of darkness. And another habit, here's number five. Uh, in, when you're dealing with chronic stress, chronic trauma, chronic major change, and we don't know when it's going to end. Here's number five. Schedule a daily connection with people I love. Schedule a daily connection with people. Stay connected to your community. You refill your cup by connecting with the people you love. Now, how do you do that when we, during the, all the time we've been social distancing and they might throw that one back in? Who knows? Well, you could use technology. Uh, I, I would say you, you, the old fashioned way is simply pick up the phone. Uh, but I actually think it's better if you have technology to be able to see their face. And, and, and body language. So Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, where you can see their faces. You can do, do old school, just phone them. So you say, well, what, what do I say when I make contact with the, those I love? First Thessalonians 5.11. Message paraphrase says it like this. Speak encouraging words to each other. Build up hope so you'll be together. Uh, with no one left out, no, no, no one left behind. I know you're already doing, just keep doing it. Now, let me share something with you from the latest research on recharging your brain. This is going to, you probably have never heard this. And once you understand it, it'll, it'll be life-changing. When stress has drained your reserves, we have learned that for the brain, meaningful encouragement that refreshes and recharges somebody doesn't really have to be long. Your brain actually only needs seconds, seconds to feel the effect of encouragement. The fact that you picked up the phone and called them, a two-minute call does wonders for regulating people. In fact, most of the benefit comes in the first 30 seconds when you call somebody to encourage them. Just the fact that you called them is an encouragement. So let me give you a homework assignment on this one. This next week, I want you to intentionally connect with three or four people that you love every day and encourage them to contact three or four people. You know, we can start a, a love uh, 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 that would grow exponentially, okay? All right, number six, share your feelings instead of stuffing them. Okay, you want to talk about this? Share your feelings <laughs> instead of stuffing them. <laughs> I'm not familiar with that concept. I'm not sure familiar exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. That... We've talked about this in an earlier uh, thing. I want to emphasize feelings are meant to be felt. Yeah. 
Oh, anything else you were going to say? Nope. Just feelings are meant to be felt. So I think really what I want to say here is, um, you know, shared with you some of the things that that I've learned in this past year, um, some of the things that um, I am intending to keep using post-pandemic. One of them is um, a couple of years ago, I read Walter Brueggemann's book, um, Reality, Grief, and Hope. And he's talking in that book about... um, our culture and how the church should engage culture. And he uses the the story of Israel being captured by Babylon. And so he he frames this, how the church should engage culture um, through that lens. But when I read it, I saw it through the lens of this is how to live life. Hmm. This is a, this is a template for how, what to do with your feelings, what to do with Mm -hmm. life. We're pretty good at glossing over reality, but we have to talk and look at reality and experience what will come next, which is grief. If you really engage in reality, you're going to run smack dab into grief, the kind of grief that feels like it can take you to the floor. Mm. So that's where we're tempted to to stuff our feelings instead of share them because most of us are very uncomfortable with grief. Grief is a good thing. Now, you share your feelings instead of stuffing them. Why? The only reason we have emotions is because God is an emotional God and we're made in his image. If God was not an emotional God, there would be no emotions. The Bible says God gets angry, God gets frustrated, God weeps, God grieves. The Bible says God has all kinds of joy and sadness, and we do too. And so if you don't talk out your feelings, you will take out your feelings on your body. When you swallow your emotions, your stomach keeps score. So you don't repress them and you don't suppress them. You express them appropriately and you confess them to God. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's troubles and problems. And in this way, you obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love your neighbor as yourself. So the next one is to seek advice before making major decisions. Seek advice before you make major decisions. We've learned, again, from the the social scientists and the stress scientists that under stress, your brain drops, its functionality drops to a lower level. It's like we all lose a little bit of our brain cells. We stop being quite so intelligent when we're under stress. We we move from the cortex down to the limbic, and we're just not as smart. Yeah, And, and we make decisions that aren't. So just know that. You know, it's not, it's not a judgment thing. It's not a, um, it's just know that everybody is having a little bit of hard time making their best decisions. So check in with others first. Proverbs 15, 22 says our plans often fail because we don't seek advice, but listening to good counsel will bring success. Um, in this past year, our elders met more often than probably they've ever met in all the years at Saddleback because they recognized that nobody was was thinking at their highest level, but that if they talked together, um, that that between them, there would be some really good decisions right. that could come out of that. So Proverbs eleven fourteen says there is safety in seeking multiple counsel. Number eight is to space renewal breaks throughout the day. This is a big one. Yeah, this is a big one. And I, but I think maybe I'll just take just a little, not, not, not a lot of time so that you can talk about the last couple of things that you wanted to say. Um, Again, brain science is telling us that sometimes um, it's maybe people will say, I'm going to take a walk and they will go for a walk for an hour and then they'll come and sit at their desk for the next six hours. What we're learning is that you're actually more productive if you take several five-minute breaks during your day rather than something that is all at one time. That's Mm -hmm. called dosing and spacing. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
just really, there's not much to say about, I mean, there's a lot to say about this, but just for time's sake, just know that um, if you're going to be sitting and doing something for a while, it's so much better to get up, take a break. For me, I go out, go talk to the birds, come back, sit dip back down. <laughs> Maybe you need to, you know, you take a walk around your, your block and then come back, you get up, you do something. Thing that that causes your your both your brain to change what it's doing your emotional state um, and you will come back and actually be more productive than if you are active early in the day and then are sedentary for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, Good point. Yeah. So there's there's all kinds of things about diverting daily emotionally. Um, you know what what recharges you. Take those those short breaks. All of that. Breathe deeply. All of that will make you more productive. So then the ninth step, um, if that was seven and eight, the yeah. ninth step is to serve someone suffering who is suffering more than I am. Serve someone who is suffering more than I am. Yeah. When you're under stress yourself, when you have chronic stress in your life for your own mental and emotional health, you need to get the attention off you. You need to focus on somebody else who's hurting more than you. You need to give back. You need to make a difference with your life. You need to get out of self-centeredness. And James talks about, the, you know, when James wrote his book, he's writing to people who are under pressure. They weren't in a pandemic, but they were under persecution. And they had all been spread apart and they couldn't see each other and they couldn't worship publicly. Sound familiar? Couldn't see each other, couldn't worship publicly. And so uh, he says, while this is all going on, you still need to help people who are the most vulnerable in society, orphans and elderly single adults. James 1, 27, the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to care for orphans or widows who need help in their distress and to keep yourself uncorrupted uh, by the world. Now, there's a lot more we can say there, but we're, we want to go to the Q&A time, but I want Kate give them the last, the last point, okay? Well, I just think probably the... the... Yeah, well, here's the point. <laughs> control what's controllable and trust God for the rest. Control what's controllable and trust God for the rest. Um, the way I say it is control the controllables and um, let God control. Now I messed up my own saying. The uncontrollables. Yeah. yeah. But now I say took yours and I messed up mine. Both these are an important point. <laughs> they are. The idea that there are things that we can control and there are things that that God can do. There God are, has a part and you have a part. He has a part and we have a part. And when we um when we realize that we have choices, I was talking about, you know, um that about taking care when we were talking about taking care of ourselves, that that Rick cannot do those things for me, that there are things that only I can do for those are controllable things within my um, my ability to do. And when I do, then you stop blaming other people. You stop feeling like a victim. Um, you take into your own hands the things I'm responsible for how emotionally mature I become. I'm responsible for how spiritually mature I am. I'm responsible for how physically um, healthy I am. Those are all things within our control. And um, the Bible says, James says, a good example of balance between your part and God's part is in James 2.22. Because from Abraham's example, we see that his faith and his actions work together. His faith was made complete by what he did. Rick, for those who were listening a few months back, I, I had you on a podcast. Um, and of course, we've, we've since then uh, merged the Stetzer Leadership Podcast with the uh, Church Leaders Podcast. Now it's Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. But um, the we talked right after the election. I asked you a question that you know made news, and I know got you some grief. The question I asked you was because a lot of people were asking me in the day 
days after the election, I asked if pastors should pray for, at that time, President-elect Biden. And then you did. And that Sunday, you got pushback from people because some people were upset that, uh, even though it had been called by all the major networks, including Fox News, um, but people you know, got pushback because there were some people still contesting the election. Or for other people, if you mentioned the murder of George Floyd that summer, you got significant pushback from other people. If you didn't mention him by name, people were holding signs that said, say his name. But And if you mentioned the murder of George Floyd but didn't mention the summer riots, people noticed. When you mentioned the January 6th riots, they mentioned that you didn't mention the summer riots. People had scorecards of almost everything that people were saying and not saying. And now we're seeing a great deal of sorting among churches because people are trying to align their ideology in their churches uh, rather than their theology. This is some of what I talked about when I shared at Saddleback, and people can find that in the show notes, the message there, the show notes as well. But this has been a really complex time to lead. So, okay, you and I talked about this too when we were together last time as well. Um, so how do you lead in divided times? The issue that has brought me the most grief uh, in the last year and a half is as I have watched the politicization of the church and I've watched where political zeal has replaced spiritual passion in the lives of many Christians. That's tragic. That's tragic. Because the bottom line is it doesn't matter. Whoever is in power will be there temporarily. In a, in, in a hundred years, much less a thousand, it's not really going to matter. What matters is the kingdom of God. The church has outlasted every bad leader for 2,000 years. Bet on the church. God has not called us to save a nation. God has not called us to save America. God has called us to save Americans. Jesus didn't die for any nation. Now, I love my country, but Jesus didn't die for any nation. He died for people. And you must have a bigger vision than simply nationalism. Nationalism is the problem that Isaiah had. And when God saw that, he said, Isaiah, I didn't call you to just reach your own people and the tribes of Judah. I didn't call you to just care about your own nation. He said, I'm setting you as a prophet to all the nations so that my salvation goes global. Right, for sure. So let me let me follow up with, with Kay. Um, you know, we're talking to leaders, all different kinds of church leaders, staff, pastors, and others. And for the first time, they're being scrutinized at a level they're not accustomed. So might not be dissimilar to the 60s when there was the last cultural convulsion. Uh, we'll put in the show notes uh, the David Brooks article that he talks about in The Atlantic, the cultural convulsion every 60 years. So in the 60s, we experienced something similar. Um, you know, were you pro-civil rights? Were you speaking up on this? Were you not? Were you speaking up on the Vietnam War or whatever else? That's before most of our time. But the point is, how should we, and I know that people scrutinize your comments, Kay, just like they scrutinize Rick's comments and all of us, they scrutinize mine. How would you advise church leaders of all stripes to navigate what to say and what not to say? Uh, yeah, that's that's where um, with Rick as the lead pastor that, you know, he has had to deal with that more directly talking to his staff. But I can tell you as a leader, 
Um, this has it. This is not a fun time to lead for me personally. Um, after after Matthew died, it's even harder than when Matthew died. Is where mm -hmm. I'm going with that. Mm -hmm. After Matthew died, we got so much support. I mean, we could do no wrong. We got so much support. Very little criticism. And this past year, where we have spoken up about um, some racism. racial racism, racial injustice, where we've um, actually called um, some, I have called some political leaders to task, mm -hmm. where we have talked about, I, I said the day that, that um, I got my first vaccination back in January, I was talking as a person, I should have been thinking that there would be people who would see me as a leader and, mm -hmm. and I, I didn't wear that hat that day and got crucified for daring to, you know, say that I got vaccinated. So, <laughs> so we have gotten more criticism and less support. Um, and so that has made leading not as much fun. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. Um, what I've tried to live for myself and for other people when they've asked is for me to say, you have, you have a conscience and you have to, you have to live with what your conscience can tolerate. Yeah. I am more concerned about that. My life is pleasing to God and is it's really emotional to me, but that, that my life is pleasing to him and that our church reflects what his, his kingdom, values, his values, his kingdom, mm -hmm. what happens that matters to me more than um, mm -hmm. attendance or giving or budgeting. And I'm right. not being I'm not being stupid or naive to say, well, you got to you know, you got to have those things. But at the end of the day, I can only control the way I respond to God. And I am encouraging our staff to 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 live their conscience as they understand Okay, so I want to come back to something Kay just said. And Kay, you mentioned what you posted on vaccines. And it wasn't just you shared that you got vaccinated. You shared, um, if I recall, my article on vaccination and that called people to encourage people to be vaccinated. And boy, a lot of pushback. And you deleted that post as well um, after the pushback you received. So there's a filter somewhere that says what I'm going to say, what I'm not going to say. And I don't think that anybody at Saddleback can say anything they want, though. I mean, I know some of the staff there. I know some team there. Um, so I appreciate that they can say their conscience. So let me just press a little more and say to Kay and then to Rick, how, because, you know, this is what a lot of church leaders are wondering, how do we decide what we should speak up on and say? Because we're not cultural commentators, right? I mean, as pastors, we're not. Because there's a lot of things that are broken right now. So help us with that. Well, I'll just answer since since you asked specifically about a post. I deleted that post. I retracted the post because it was taking on a life of its own. And what was happening was not productive dialogue, but there was just the typical stuff on social media, people attacking each other, calling names. Um, all Christianity was gone. And it was mostly Christians attacking each other. And I just personally don't want that on my site. I just don't. And I will get rid of it wherever I can. So I took it down because I felt like that what was happening there was ungodly. And um, and then I wrote a follow-up post that, that talked about how in Galatians, 
um, six, where, where Paul says, listen, if you're not careful, you're going to devour each other. You're going to eat each other up. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is wrong. This is not the way Christians behave. And I'm taking it down because I don't want that on my site. Mm. I don't want it. It's, it's, it's garbage. I don't want it on my site. I've not repented of anything. I said what I said. I meant it. I'd say it again. But what I really was interested in was believers figuring out, which none of us have figured out well, but it's our goal, is how can people disagree with each other and still love each other? Rick has always said you don't have to see eye to eye to walk arm in arm or hand in hand with somebody. And so I took that post down, put another post up saying what I want is for us to learn how to disagree and and um, still walk hand in hand together. And that is probably one of the church's greatest and most difficult tasks, right? And and you do that. So, so Rick, then you're the pastor. You've got to articulate to your staff, yes, share your conscience, but you can't opine on everything. You don't want every staff member to weigh in on everything, particularly when there's some disputable matters to look to Romans 14. Uh, and this is part of what I talked about when I shared at Saddleback in the message is you might not agree with everything your pastor says or your church says. There are things you should, you know, biblical things, gospel things. Um, so, so give us just quickly, how do you help church leaders decide uh, what to say and what not to say at Saddleback? Well, the main thing is to focus on the main thing. This is not a new problem, Ed. It, when Jesus chose the 12 disciples, he chooses Simon the Zealot, Zealots were committed to the overthrow of Rome. They were terrorists of their day. They'd just soon stick a Roman between the ribs with a knife as anything. He chose Simon the Zealot. And by then he goes, oh, by the way, your partner is going to be Matthew, the tax collector, who represents sellout to Rome. Now, these two guys are among the 12 disciples. Radically different politics. And Jesus says to both of them, follow me. There's no way they were going to follow Jesus if it was about politics. Jesus didn't make any attempt to overthrow the Roman Empire. He said, in fact, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. I've preached on that text three times in the last year and a half. My kingdom is not of this world. I'm not going to give first class allegiance to a politics. Who even, does anybody even know what the politics were 100 years ago? No. It's not going to last. Focus on what's going to last. And so I don't want, if I make a political statement, I don't have a problem making a moral statement. But if I make, for instance, I don't know that God has an opinion on building a wall between U.S. and Mexico. I don't know that God has an opinion on some missile treaty. If there is, it's certainly not in my priorities. My priority is to bring people to Christ, the great commandment and the great commission. Rick, a uh, church planning leader uh, talked about this in a meeting we were both in and asked about corporate grieving and lament because people have lost a lot of things um, personally, congregationally, and more. And so the question is, is how do we see this take place uh, maybe in a um, corporate context, a spiritual discipline, or part of our corporate gathering? How does lament fit into that? Grief is as varied as there are personalities. There's no one right way to grieve. Uh, people grieve in different ways. There's no timetable on grief. Uh, you can't rush it. it, it it's uh, 
people, some, everybody has, there's no expiration date is what we say on grief. Um, and I'll just say personally, I've learned nothing from success in my life. Everything I've learned in life, I've learned through pain. And so that pain involves grief. Uh, I am the man that I am today because of what we've learned about grief, not what we've learned about fame or what we've learned about success, but what we've learned about how to deal with how you feel um, when things don't go the way you go, because things don't go the way you want them to go most of the time. Grief is actually a unifier uh, because everybody's had losses. And so uh, people who would be opposed to each other, uh, if you say, have you lost something? Well, yeah, we've all lost something. And so grieving together actually brings us closer uh, together. Rick and Kay, thankful for both of you, your friendship. Um, thank you for your leadership and and really the service you provide for speaking about some of these hard issues. Uh, we're grateful for you. Thanks for joining us on the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. You've been listening to Rick and Kay Warren, co-founders of Saddleback Church with campuses now all over the world. Thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com. If you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review on iTunes that'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. You can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based programs on the Faith Play app, which is available for both Apple and Android. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.